as you're praying for yourself and for, for those that are around you, let me remind you what the Word of God has to say. The psalmist declares in Psalm chapter 42 that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Psalm chapter 55, verse number 22 tells us to cast your burdens upon the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Heavenly Father, I pray that in this moment, right now, Father, that we would cast all of our burdens upon you. Father, may we trust in you. May we release whatever it is that we're struggling with, whatever it is that we're, we're anxious about. May we release it over to you. Father, may your peace and may your strength give us what we need so that we can live rightly in this world. Father, I pray that today, that in this moment, that I would rightly speak your words and that we would rightly hear them and apply them so that you may be glorified in and through it all. We ask your blessings upon this time. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. The Bible should be open to Amos chapter 5. Here, the beginning of it sounds familiar because this is the third time that Amos begins uh, with the saying, hear this word. He's been giving attention uh, to God's word beginning in chapter 3. He begins chapter 3 with hear this word. He begins chapter 4 with hear this word. And he begins chapter 5 with the phrase hear this word. I said this last week and I'll say it this morning. How we treat God's word is a direct reflection on how we treat God. To know God's word is to know God. To love God's word is to love God. To obey God's word is to obey God. But likewise, to ignore the word of God is to ignore God. To neglect his word is to neglect your relationship with God. To deny his word or to live in against his word is to deny God and to live against God. Look what he says. Chapter 5, beginning of verse number 1. Amos says, hear this word which I take up for you as a dirge, O house of Israel. She has fallen, she will not rise again. The virgin Israel, she lies neglected on her land, for, for there is none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city which goes forth a thousand strong will have a hundred left, and the one which goes forth a hundred strong will have ten left to the house of Israel. Amos here for the third time. Now he's trying to shock his listeners about the complacency in their lives. He's speaking of, of the death of Israel as a past event, as something that has already occurred. And so Amos uses a descriptive language and he compares the nation of Israel to a, a virgin daughter one who has been ravaged and slain on the battlefield with her corpse left there to die. And there's no hope for her. All alone. All hope was gone. Nobody was there to, to help her up. 
And so history would later record the fulfillment of these words. After the Assyrian invasion, the kingdom of Israel ceased to exist and has never been fully restored. Some of the people were taken into exile. Some of them were slain. And then there were a few that were left behind to remain. And those that were left behind, what happened was they brought in Gentiles into that territory to resettle the land. And so what ultimately resulted were those Jewish individuals that were left behind and the new Gentile people that were brought in to resettle in that land. Well, they began to intermingle with each other. And the result of that intermingling was a, a mixed race known as the Samaritans. Samaritans were neither Gentile nor Jews. And so let's be clear that there can be no victory when the Lord has abandoned us to our faith because we have abandoned God. There can be no victory found in in that type of living. And so what we desperately need, what they desperately needed, and what many, if not all of us, desperately need today is is something called revival or repentance, a a return uh, to a a full declaration and and pledge unto the Lord. I want you to hear what what God has to say from his word in Psalm chapter 85. Did did something go on with my mic? Did it change? Because I lost everything from here. We good? All right. I'll just have to talk louder. Y'all like it when I get loud. Canaan does not like it when daddy gets loud in church. Psalm chapter 85, verse number 4 says, uh, To restore us, O God, of our salvation, and cause your indignation towards us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. And then here in Psalm 85, verse number 8, it says, I will hear what God the Lord will say, for he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones, but let them not turn back to folly. There it is in verse number 8. He says, I will hear what God the Lord will say. I'm curious, did you come here today to be prepared to receive what God would speak into your lives? In other words, are you listening? Are you ready to to receive from him? Because let's go back to Amos chapter 5. He begins with the declaration, hear God's word, and then he tells us to seek the Lord. Let's pick up in verse number 4. He says, thus says the Lord, Uh, to the house of Israel. Seek me that you may live. Do not resort to Bethel and do not come to Gilgal nor cross over to Beersheba for Gilgal will certainly go into captivity and Bethel will come to trouble. Then in verse 6 he says, Seek the Lord that you may live or he will break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph, and it will consume uh, with none to quench it for Bethel. The phrase here, seek the Lord, is found more than 30 times throughout the Scripture. It applied to Israel in ancient of days, and I believe it rightly applies to God's children today. 
that we must hear God's word. And even in this case, even if the whole nation wouldn't repent and, and return to the Lord, even if the whole nation doesn't respond positively to God's word, a remnant could still return. A, a remnant could still receive the Lord's help and blessing. Likewise today, even if the entire congregation doesn't hear God's word and resulting in repentance and a renewal to live rightly for him, there's still an opportunity for some to respond rightly to the word of God. This verse embodies both a command and a promise. It says to seek the Lord, that's the command, and the promise is, and live seek the lord and live so so what does it mean to seek the lord i think the prophet isaiah kind of summarizes it best when isaiah writes in isaiah chapter 55 verses 6 and 7 listen to what he says he says seek the lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near then in verse 7 he says let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Did you catch that? He says, seek the Lord, call upon the Lord. And in order to do that, we've got to forsake our, our ways, our, our evil thoughts, our, our evil actions. We've got to forsake our ways. We've got to abandon that old stinking thinking that we get so wrapped up with. And then if we will, if we'll do that, and if we'll return to the Lord, then his promise is that he will have compassion upon us and he will pardon us abundantly. I mean, that's good news. At least it is to me. I would hope it is for you. I know it is. Seek the Lord. Return unto Him. He will receive you with compassion. He will forgive you for whatever it is in your life that is causing interference with your proper relationship and development with Him. To seek the Lord means, first of all, that we have to change our thinking we have to go from the thinking of the old nature and embrace the spiritual renewal of our mind to have the proper kind of thinking the way that the Lord would want us to have. Seeking the Lord means that we, yes, we forsake our sin. Absolutely, we forsake the sin and we turn to God to receive forgiveness and mercy from our sin. But it's more than just that. Seeking the Lord means that we have a, an utter hatred or we loathe our sin. That we despise the sin to such a degree that it causes us to be broken in our spirit whenever it is that we do sin. Because we know that, that we have failed the holiness and the righteousness of God. So do you despise sin? I'm not talking about do you despise other people's sin. That's easy to do. Do you despise your own sin? David writes in Psalm chapter 51, and he reminds us in verses 16 and 17, he says, For do you, you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering." 
the sacrifices of God are a, does anyone know? A broken spirit. A contrite spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. I mean, just think about it. When's the last time when you've reflected upon your life or, or the sin in your life and that caused a brokenness, that broken spirit, where, where you cried out to God to receive the forgiveness that he is so willing and graciously to extend unto us? You begin to think through, like, why, why, why should we seek the Lord? Let me give you two reasons why it's a good idea uh, to, to seek the Lord. One of the reasons is because there's no other way to experience true spiritual blessing. Spiritual growth will only occur if we're, if we're seeking the Lord. Go, go back to verse number 5. It says, Do not resort to Bethel. Do not come to Gilgal, nor cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal will certainly go into captivity, and Bethel, Bethel will come to trouble. Here's what's happening, right? The people were going to these shrines in, in droves. Massive amounts of people were going to these places of worship. And the, the reality was, although they were going to participate in some type of religious activity, they were returning home worse off than when they went. Which means a change in geography can never overcome a, a flaw in our character. Change in geography never overcomes a flaw in our character. Some people who even are faithful in attending church will, will refuse to deal with the sin that's in their lives. And so instead of coming to church, well, they just start going to a different church. It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Just because you change locations... Or, or you change places of worship, if you're unwilling to deal with the inner flaws of your life, then changing churches is never going to overcome the flaw in our character or, or the sin that's in our lives. And so Amos is saying, you don't go to Bethel, you can't go to Gilgal, you can't go to Beersheba, you can't just show up there and then leave expecting to be blessed by God because it doesn't work that way. Today, you can't just show up to church with uh, whatever attitude that you have in the midst of the sin that, that you're living with or in and leave church and think, hey, at least I went to church. Surely God will bless me for my participation and my engagement in showing up at church. It doesn't work that way. It's unless we listen intently to the word of God, unless we're willing to deal with our inner self, unless we're willing to truly seek after him, then our hearts and our lives will never be transformed. Are you listening? Do you seek after him? And so we should seek the Lord because there's no other way to experience true spiritual health and maturity and growth. I'd also say that we should seek the Lord because there's, uh, in seeking after God, we escape judgment from God. Now, the phrase that he uses in verse number 6 uh, reminds us, he says, uh, to break forth like a fire. 
He's going to break forth like a fire, O house of Joseph. But he has been giving us this warning time and and time again, all through chapter 1, all in chapter 2. You go back to chapter 1, and he says in verse number 4, he says, I will send fire to Damascus. Verse number 7, he says, I'm going to send fire to Gaza. He says the same thing to Tyre in verse number 10, uh, to the Edomites in verse number 12. In verse number 14, he says he's going to kindle a fire against the Ammonites. In chapter 2, it continues. He says, I'm going to uh, send fire to the Moabites. Chapter 2, verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 5 says he's going to send fire to the southern kingdom of Judah. Yeah, so, so another reason for seeking God is because judgment is coming. Now, fear of judgment might not be the highest motive for obeying God, but rest assured, God will accept that. Do you fear him? Do you fear standing before the holiness and the righteousness of God and giving account for who you are and, and, and what you do in your life? So for Israel, the call to repent and to return to God was a reasonable thing to do. After all, it would bring them life. It would produce within them spiritual health and spiritual growth. It would save them from the coming judgment of God. But they refused to hear from God. They refused to seek after Him. Let's keep going. We should hear God's Word. We should seek the Lord. But not only that, we should seek uh, to do good. Look at, pick up in verse number 7. It says, For those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down uh, to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and changes deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea, and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. It is he who flashes with forth with destruction upon the strong, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. Verse 10, they hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many, and your sins are great. You who distress the righteous and accept bribes, and and turn aside the poor in the gate. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. Verse 14. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. There's the command, and then there's the promise. Seek good, not evil, that you may live. And thus, may the Lord God of hosts be with you, just as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Perhaps the Lord God of hosts may be gracious to a remnant of Joseph. I'm going to break this down for us so it makes better sense, hopefully. There's this phrase, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. That's what he tells us to do back there in verse number four, as well as verse number six. 
And, and so because the, the command to seek the Lord may seem difficult or, or distant in the minds of some people, uh, for some people they can't wrap their minds around what does this actually mean or how does this actually play out in life. And so I believe that's the reason where Amos begins to break this challenge down into a practical, everyday type of experience. He gives us the command, and then he's going to show us what it means and, and how it looks for us to seek after the Lord. And he's going to show us what it looks and what it means to seek to, to do good. And so he, he begins to, to name some of the sins that the people are, are, are associated with. Things like accepting bribes. They're guilty of taking advantage of the poor. They're guilty of living in luxury while neglecting those that are in need. Uh, they're guilty of having a faulty and very corrupt judicial system. And so Amos is drawing attention to all of that. And so let me, let me back up. Let's go to verse number, look at verse number 7. It shows them how they're guilty of promoting injustice. In verse number 7, he says, For those who turn justice into wormwood and cast righteousness down to the earth. So, so justice was so perverse that it was like wormwood. And, and, and so wormwood was this herb that was bitter tasting. And so what he's saying is your justice is so crooked and so perverse that it leaves a bitter taste in people's mouths. When, when justice happens, everyone can see that that justice that just happened wasn't right. It was corrupt. It was faulty. It leaves a bitterness in, in, in the mouths of the people who are witnessing it. And Amos is trying to remind us what, what Jesus reminds us of in, in the book of Matthew. And Jesus tells us that as believers, that we're to be the salt of the earth. And one of the things that salt does is it pre, uh, pre, preserves and it prevents corruption. And so instead of preventing corruption the way that we should be, here the people are taking justice and they're perverting it to such an extent that it's so crooked, it's so unfair. So as believers, that should have been uh, free from corruption. Jesus also tells us that, that we're to be the light of the world, and one of the things that light does is obviously light exposes the darkness. It expels the darkness. And so what the believers need to be doing is they need to be taking a stand for the things that are right. Justice should prevail and righteousness should reign. And yes, they should be engaged into the problems of society, but especially when the problems of the, of the world could be solved with the, with the proper application of the gospel or, or the proper living out the word of God. So, so justice was being so twisted that, that it was a discredit to the people. And on top of that, they despised and, and rejected any type of correction that was being brought to them. It says in verse number 10, it says, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks with integrity. The city gate. You see this clearly in, in Ruth chapter 4. But the city gate was the place where the elders would meet and where business would be conducted. This is the place where justice was to be administered. And so here the, the dishonest leaders would impose their lies on the people and then they would manipulate the court system. And if someone tried to rebuke them, 
if someone tried uh, to correct them in their decision, then they would turn on that person, and, and then they would not only turn on the person, they would try to silence him, to keep them quiet. It got to the point where the righteous actually refused to say anything because uh, their inner interference had no effect. That's what it's saying in verse number 13. Therefore, at such a time, the prudent person keeps silent, for it is an evil time. You should realize that people with integrity, people who truly like, uh, desire to develop Christ-like maturity, that type of person will gladly listen to counsel, even when it's rebuke. But people who are bent on evil, people who are set in their ways, people who are, are stubborn and obstinate to the truth, well, they will seek to destroy those that speak in opposition to them. Those that try to speak a word of correction into their lives, they will reject hate, despise. I want you to know what God's word has to say about that. Proverbs chapter 19, verse number 20 says, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Listen to counsel and accept discipline. That's God's command for us. Be willing to listen to to a word of rebuke from an individual, whomever they may be, and then to go back to the word of God, to take the rebuke and open up God's word and then rightly apply it or rightly dismiss it, not based upon our feelings, not based upon our preferences, but based upon the evidence of the word of God. And, and so they were guilty of rejecting any type of discipline or correction. And then they were grossly negligent of the poor. Look at verse number 11 and 12. It says, Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor and exact a tribute of grain from them, though you have built houses of well-hewn stone, yet you will not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, yet you will not drink their wine. For I know your transgressions are many, and your sins are great. I think the prophet Amos was a clear champion for the poor and for the oppressed. God knew exactly what these people were doing. And likewise, God knows exactly what we're doing today. And so it's easy to look at them and say, ha get them, God. But, but he knows what we're doing. And he knows what we're not doing. And so God always, always keeps his promises. May you never forget that God always keeps his promises. Whether his promise is to bless those that live rightly for him or to bring discipline to those that are living in opposition or rebellion to him, God is faithful. He will always keep his promise to us. I want you to see, look at verse number 14 and 15. Real quick, and, and we're going to deal with the arrogance and the self-confidence of these people. Verse 14 and 15 says, Seek good and not evil that you may live, and thus may the Lord God of hosts be with you. And then it says, Just as you have said, just as you have claimed, you have been proclaiming that the Lord God of hosts is with you, is what Amos is trying to say here. 
you boast about how God is with you. And so it would appear that they, they were right. If you looked on the outside, looking in on the nation, you would see a nation that was prospering. You would see a nation that had a, a strong religious engagement of activity, at least. You know, people in massive droves going to the shrines and, to participate in religious activity. So it would give the appearance that, that the Lord was with them. But, but however, the, the proof that God is with us is seen when, when we truly love God and are obedient to his command. That's the evidence of knowing that God is with us. If we love him and that love is seen in our obedience to him and our love being on display to the people that are around us. So religion without righteousness and justice is just hypocrisy. Religious activity without righteousness and justice is just hypocrisy. Which means that even today, no matter how many people attend worship service, if the end result of our gathering does not lead us to obedience to God or a greater compassion towards our community and for those that are in need, if the end result of our gathering doesn't draw us nearer to God and develop a greater love in us for God and for other people, then our meeting ultimately is a failure. The success of a church, if you want to say something like that, or how do you measure success within a church? It's not measured by statistics. It's not measured by well, how many people do you have attend your worship service, or how many people are attending this, or what is the bottom line number in dollars and stuff like that. Like, all those things are important to track. It gives you an idea uh, on trends and all that stuff. But I want to tell you that the, 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 the success of a church is measured in the faithful obedience of its people. Do you love God? Do you love God enough to be obedient to God and to display that love by loving other people in our community? That's how a church is successful. And, like, and so, like, I'm in this midst of just uh, chaos in my life right now, all because of a message that I preached a year and a half ago. Back in November of 2018, I brought a message about false teachers and I made the declaration on why we as a church are no longer going to sing music by certain artists. And I, and I gave a word of warning about the other pastors or writers or leaders and caution about that. Well, it's been recently shared in, about a week ago and it's just spiraled out of like, control. And so I, I'm responding to emails after emails and, and I try to live with, a, of all messages, to go viral. The one that says I live my life with a zero inbox policy is not the message I would have chosen. Man. But I'm trying to reply to everyone that's, that's trying to give me a word of encouragement and have plenty of people, trust me, that are trying to bring a word of rebuke and correction and condemnation to me. And that's why I read that uh, Proverbs from, from Proverbs 19. Because every time I receive them, I don't just dismiss it. I look at it. I read it. I go back to God's word. And if there's some truth that needs to be applied and corrected into my life, then I'm going to do it. 
And if it's not, I'm going to dismiss it. And I, I'm going to let it go. Because, like, I take with great seriousness the responsibility that God has placed upon me to, to lead his people, to, to, to shepherd his sheep. And one of the things that I must do is I must, I must love you and I must teach you and I must inform you. I must give you guidance, but I also got to give you warnings and, and, and bring correction uh, when necessary. And those things aren't fun. They're not fun for me. I know they're not fun to receive. I've been on the re receiving side before. Correction is hard and correction is difficult. But we've got to love God enough to be willing to do that for each other. And, and so success, if you will, they're, they're, they're saying, uh, the people of Israel, when Amos is correcting them, they're, they're saying, look, God is with us, and they're boastful about their numbers. They're boastful about the prosperity of the land. They're boastful about the number of people that are engaging in religious activity. And Amos is bringing correction to them and saying, man, you don't get it. God's about to bring his fire of judgment upon you. And you're not making the connection. Religious activity, when it's not backed with righteousness and judgment, it's all hypocrisy. May we be faithful and true to the complete counsel of God's word. And may we not worry about taking a stand for what God's word has to say. May we not apologize for it. May we love one another enough to speak the word of God into their life. May we love God enough that we're willing to take his word into a world that is going to hate despise, reject, mock, even abuse you because you take a stand for what's right. May we not be ashamed of the Word of God in our lives. And so, before we close, I just want to help us to kind of reflect upon what Amos has said up to this point. We're going to stop here because this next section begins a series of woe statements unto the people. I want to pause here before we get to the warning part of Amos's message and stuff. But right now, I just want to pause, and I just want us to, to reflect a little bit. Let me ask you uh, just a couple of questions, right? Like, like, who would people say you are? Let me ask you like this. If I were to ask your spouse, tell me about your husband or tell me about your, your wife. What's the most important thing in their lives? What's the, what's the thing of most value in their lives? Maybe. What if I were to go to your children or your grandchildren? And I would say, hey, what is the most important thing in your mom and dad's life? Or, or what is the most important thing in your grandparents' lives? What do you think that they would say? What if I went to your neighbors? and said, hey, what's the most important thing in your neighbor's life? What if I went to the people that you worked with, right? The people that you see you more than anyone else, right? What if I go to them and said, hey, what's the most important thing in their life? Begin to write these things out, right? Would those lists match up? Oh, here's one. What if Jesus, standing in the flesh, I said, Jesus, 
what's the most important thing in, in their life? Would the testimony of Jesus match the testimony of your coworkers, the testimony of your neighbors, the, the testimony of your children, of your grandchildren, of your spouse, of family members? Would they match? Okay. If not, why not? Why doesn't it match? Why isn't there consistency? Could it be that, that we are guilty of chasing after our reputation? Or could it be uh, that we are guilty of pursuing pleasure in this life rather than an all-out surrender and race towards Christ-like maturity? I want you to realize that true revival begins with repentance. So true repentance begins by naming our sins, being honest about who we are and what we're doing, and not just naming our sins, but being willing to deal with those sins before God. Amos has said, hear God's word. Are you listening? Seek the Lord. Are you pursuing Him? Seek the good. Do you hate what is evil and cling to what is good? Revival begins with repentance. And even if the whole church doesn't just bust out with confessing sins and repentance and God bringing revival into their lives doesn't mean it can stop you from doing that. What will you do? Father, in this time of invitation, I pray that your spirit would bring strong conviction into our lives. God, that we would experience a brokenness because of our sin that we would cry out unto you, naming our sin, confessing that sin, and asking and receiving the forgiveness that you were so abundantly ready to pour out upon us. God, may we stop going through the motions. May we stop pursuing and chasing after the things that are insignificant. God, may we fully run after you. May we love you, Father. May we love your word. May we obey you, Father, by being obedient to the word. In this time of invitation with the altar open, I pray that people would respond in the right way. Help us now. Help us not to be worried about what's happening around us. Help us to just focus on what needs to happen within us so that we can leave here with a better, a more strengthened relationship with you. So whatever decision needs to be made during this time, I pray that you would give us the conviction, the courage, the strength, the willingness to repent. to abhor what is evil, and to cling to what is good. May you be praised and may you be glorified. 
in this time. In Christ's name I pray.